welcome back to What's the Story with Jillian and Shauna. Today we're going to talk about episode 37, Panton at the Opera, and we have a very special guest with us. Danny, please introduce yourself and tell us why you're a guest on this particular podcast. Well, hi, thanks for having me. I'm I'm Danny, and I'm a guest on this particular podcast because I got an invite, and how could I say no? <laughs> oh, very sneaky, very sneaky. Danny, Danny also has exciting news to share uh, about um, kind of the next steps with our podcast. So now they can share that. I, it's very funny that you brought me on to share news about your podcast. But so, um, so I am a host of a podcast called Encyclopedia. And uh, Jillian, you were my guest. It feels like quite a long time ago, but you came on. It was a long time ago. It was in the before times. The before, it was. Before That's times. true, because we did it in person. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And somewhere in the 30s of the podcast, we did an episode about Boy Meets World. Yep. And it was uh, awesome. And everyone should listen to it. Yeah. And then and then you had so much fun that you were like, I'm going to start my own podcast now. Uh, yeah, which... it was my main inspiration. <laughs> I don't see your sarcasm blinker, so I'm taking that as genuine. <laughs> genuine. Fact. The world may never know. Um, but yeah, like that. The, so Encyclopedia is a podcast where I invite a guest on each week to tell me about something that they love and just to teach me all about it. And, and it sort of started as like, I just was interested in learning lots of things, but it sort of evolved into just realizing that like the best part of this podcast is just hearing people talk about what they love for an hour. Like it just is really good for the soul, honestly. And um, I have loved doing that so much that I wanted to grow the podcast beyond just a single podcast. And so I did what every good podcaster does when they're ready for the next step and made it into a podcast network. Um, And a podcast network means that there are multiple shows that are a part of this Encyclopedia family. uh, And I needed some shows to fill it. And I just happen to know that you have the show that so perfectly fits sort of that idea of people talking about the things they love for no other reason than just because they love them, right? Like, I, I'm pretty sure that's your goal with this podcast is listen, you two have such a great friendship and you just love talking to each other and and Wishbone sort of is just the the tool to be able to do that, right? We've said Yeah, I think that that's... Podcast. Like we said on the podcast, this isn't for the listeners, this is for Shauna and Jillian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. 100%. I think that's what we've learned. I don't know, in the almost year that we've been doing this now is really we're just here to talk to each other. And if other people want to listen, that's great. <laughs> well, and and I do love listening. And, you know, I think that part of that is just like, that's the kind of podcast that I like listening to is people who are not doing it for any reason other than because they love it. And so that's why I invited you two to join this fledgling podcast network. And um, this, is, I guess, is me officially saying that you have now done so. So that's really exciting. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, so we would encourage all of our listeners, and this is an early recommendation, top of the show recommendation, to go check out um, Encyclopedia anywhere you do- uh, download your podcasts and the other shows that Danny has in the books, because it's, it's going to be really fun stuff coming up. I've already checked out a bunch of the other options. So so yeah, check out Encyclopedia.net. You can see the Encyclopedia podcast is, is there and will continue in its same form. And then there are also uh, the show and then three others that have sort of come together to form this new little network. And and we'll see. I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants and we'll see what that means and what that looks like. But um, I'm excited to have you two on board. Oh, and become an Encyclopatron. Yeah, do I that too. Encyclo- Encyclopedia <laughs> patron. It's a hard thing to say. Patreon page. Yeah. 
We don't yeah. have one of those. I don't know how to say it, but you should go go support it. You can get a bumper sticker. I mean, I by supporting the Encyclopedia Patreon, you now are directly supporting this show in that you're helping me have the resources to provide Shauna and Jillian with the resources to continue to run their show and grow their show in, in ways that they're excited about. So it's true. We stand. <laughs> Thank you. Dan. Well, that's definitely a first, but I'll take it. <laughs> Well, thank you for introducing yourself. We're psyched to be part of the network and it's going to be a fun exploration of the future of What's the Story with Jillian and Shauna, a podcast who's never loved to say that name. It's just a delightful name. (laughs) All right. So today we are going to talk about the Phantom of the Opera and my brain actually started singing the Phantom of the Opera just now. So that was a little alarming. Um, Jillian, tell us about your relationship with the Phantom of the Opera, because I have next to none. Oh, wow. I don't have a great relationship with this um, story, to be honest. I have seen the musical a couple times. Um, I mean, I do think, as we all know, everyone that's listened to the show knows that I'm a major theater nerd. I think it's like a prerequisite that if you do theater, you have to have seen Phantom of the Opera at some point, at least seen it, if not like been involved with the production. Um, and I didn't see it until college where I got like $20 tickets to see a tour and was like kind of like right in the middle of the orchestra. So I had phenomenal seats and it was a great production. I've seen it since on tour as well. And it's a great show. There's good music. The um, plot of this story is the most horrendous. And I just, I have so many thoughts about why I hate it so much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that can be saved for my key takeaways or for later in the episode, but yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. Although I do have a good story. My brother had seen this wishbone growing up, obviously. And I went to a Catholic school when we were younger. And he like came with my mom to the church one day. And the uh, organist was playing on the organ. And then he wouldn't go into the church for like a year because he was convinced that the Phantom of the Opera lived in my church. <laughs> so you know, I don't even think they were playing Phantom of the Opera, but he just like associated organ music with the Phantom. So that's I a good hope that's they a weren't good. playing Phantom of the Opera at church. <laughs> well, it was just like it was just like they were just rehearsing. They weren't like it wasn't during a, like a service. But my mom I feel like that's got to be like the first song that every organist learns how to play, though, right? Oh, like you know, chopsticks is the first play. song that you learn to play on piano. ABC or Twinkle Twinkle Little Star's violin, and I feel like Phantom of the Opera has to be that one for the organ. <laughs> If you're going to play the organ, why else would you do it except to play that song? Right. Like, what else, What other purpose would you have in life? Well, if like, you're, like, in a baseball stadium, you're doing that dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. I don't even that's know. Oh, that's true. There, there are two types of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Well, also, like, at the state fair, they play the organ a lot in the horse stadium. <laughs> or, like, the Coliseum at the Wisconsin State Fair. Touché. But yeah, I really think it's just to listen or to play Phantom of the Opera. That's the only thing I would do. I I believe you. I, like I said, have next to no relationship. Never saw the movie, which I think came out when we were in high school. Never saw the musical. The loose understanding I had of the story is apparently quite correct, according to Wishbone, if Wishbone is correct. Um, but yeah. before we even had a chance to record, Danny told us that they had some sort of interesting relationship with Phantom of the Opera. So I'm so curious to hear a little more about that. 
I mean, I don't know if it's interesting necessarily, but I just, we are, you originally had me scheduled to come on last week and I don't even remember what the book was, but I just had no relationship with that book versus, you know, this one. I was like, well, let's, let's hold off because I do, I am a little more familiar with the Phantom of the Opera. The, my sophomore year of high school was like my phantom year. Um, mm-hmm. I, we, we did a trip to New York and, and I got to see it on Broadway and the, we did this, the t- standing room tickets where you stand on your feet to watch the entire show and you're just like miserable by the end of it, but it only costs 20 bucks. So, you know, <laughs> got to do it. I did not know that was a thing. And it seems like a fire hazard. <laughs> <laughs> it might be, but also like, well, you're we, like the first ones out the there if there was a fire. So not in the aisles, like behind all the seats, basically. Like it would suck to sit in the last row because you've got all the standing room people like standing behind you and like shuffling around the entire time. <laughs> but it was Especially high school kids were like chatting with each other. And... Yeah. <laughs> um, so there was that. And then the movie that you alluded to also came out. It was my sophomore year of high school. And so went to see that with my friends. And, and I remember really enjoying that because the music is so good. Um, but did you know that there are actually two different versions of the Phantom of the Opera musical. No. So, <laughs> I don't know what answer. Good thing we have you here. Yeah. The, so the Phantom of the Opera is the one that we all know that with the famous songs that we were and like hearing like as we were watching Wishbone act it out and obviously yeah. they didn't have the rights to it. But, um, but there's also, that, that's like a European version, I guess. There's also Phantom, the American musical which is a different musical adaptation. And I'm going to go on the record as saying a subpar musical adaptation of the, the book. Um, and that was my high school's musical, my sophomore year of high school. And so I got to sit in the pit orchestra and play the music for basically off-brand Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> it was so Wait, bad. I mean, that seems like such a way to trap audience members. <laughs> it's like- truly... Like that is such a scheme. So, but like we couldn't put of the opera on any of our posters because that's copyright infringement. So it was a Phantom, right. an American musical. But like they used the exact same like mask image to make sure. it look, you know, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, because I think Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote Phantom of the Opera, so I think that he's yeah. British. So, I guess the Phantom, the American musical, must have been written by someone who's not British. Yeah, yeah I just oh, looked boy. it up. It's literally called Phantom, the American musical sensation. <laughs> oh, sensation. It is not a sensation. <laughs> I remember I remember one song. It's like a full company song where they're singing about it's, it's the opera has been invaded by a phantom. And then they go, Phantom, Phantom, the opera's been invaded by a Phantom, a Phantom, a Phantom, okay, the opera's, it's just like really for that. When we invited you and to the it's... podcast. <laughs> I'm glad we got it though. The, the only reason I remember that song is because one of my friends made a parody video where it was a llama instead of a Phantom. And it was just like these llamas all over the opera house. Anyway, that's my relationship <laughs> with the Phantom of the Opera. So fascinating. Oh, now that I'm looking it up, so the people who adapted Phantom for Phantom had just won the Tony Award for Musical, Best Musical, nine, just before this. And I've heard of that. Yeah. And they were the people who actually have the rights to adapt Phantom. <laughs> so now. Before Andrew Lloyd Webber? Bro, I have no idea what the American rights. Oh, okay. So I don't have a clue of like what's going on. I just, oh. Yeah, there so must I, be some like international differences in like the regulation of copyrights. Yeah, for... it sounds like Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera is like not an official 
adaptation of the book <laughs> which is wow learning a lot <laughs> learning a lot <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, there, and there are also plot differences and and that is because the phantom the american bird it was probably a more true adaptation of the book which i also read my sophomore year of high school and is not a good book as you alluded to jillian well just unsurprisingly it was very poorly received so mm. like when the book was published in it was initially serialized in the early 1900s 1909 to 1910 it just wasn't that popular and it it, nobody was that interested in reading it. And then in 1925, an American studio, movie studio, Universal, um, got the rights to adapt the movie, but the author died two years later. So he never actually knew that his story became incredibly hugely successful. Oh no, that's really tragic. He died thinking that Phantom the American Musical Sensation was the only interpretation of this book. Yeah, in 1927 he died. So it was he didn't know anything about either of these musicals. Oh okay. <laughs> Regardless. Yeah, that makes more sense. Okay. <laughs> Either way, uh, but the original author had had a little bit of fame just as like a person who wrote like crime books and stuff, mysteries and stuff like that. It's just that this particular one wasn't very well received. Well, my high school's musicals are really like hot and cold. The next year we did Cabaret, which was like just incredible. But then my senior year, we did an adaptation of The Princess and the Pea. So like we, we were all over the place. Our high school, <laughs> we, we had a little bit of that too. We had a little bit of like, it's kind of up and down. We did a Vita one year, which was like our mm. freshman year was a Vita. Then we did Fiddler, which is apparently the best one that was ever put on. Were you what? too cool for musicals your freshman year? No, I don't know what happened, but I just didn't see I I didn't see a Vita or I couldn't see a Vita, and that's the only one I didn't see of all the like, you know, dozen productions our school put on while we were there. Okay, now that we've, every time we start talking about high school, we know it's a sign to move away from the conversation. <laughs> let's jump into this episode. Are you both ready to discuss? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the silence was really <laughs> riveting. <laughs> All right, so we start off with the kids at the library because they're doing a report on rock and roll. That's right, listeners. You used to have to physically go to a library every time you did a report on literally anything. Plot twist. <laughs> um, and they see Joe's mom, Ellen, at the entrance because she's a reference librarian. And it turns out she is in the latest issue of Library Monthly Magazine. Because oh, she, my gosh. She is a superstar. <laughs> there's a whole article. There's a headshot. She didn't even know the article was coming out. David is losing his mind over <laughs> her presence in this magazine. He like asked for her autograph. It's like, oh my gosh, Mrs. Talbot, you're a star. It was so funny. And Ellen does notice that Wishbone is with him, with Joe, and says, you know, dogs aren't allowed in the library. And Joe says, well, it's, you know, it's going to start raining, so I had to bring him in. So Ellen's response is, okay, keep him under control. This is how Mayor of Oakdale, Wishbone Talbot, is allowed to traverse every building. This is what I don't understand. If it's going to rain, don't take your dog for a walk to the library. But he's not allowed inside, Joe Talbot. They have to do their report, though. What are they supposed to do? 
leave Wishbone at home on his red chair to take a nap mm. and read a book. That's what he does. Wishbone loves books. He does love books. We know. Joe doesn't know, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> no surprise there. So Wishbone is actually, as Daniel said, extremely delighted to go through all the titles close to floor level. And he is snooping and reading and so excited and not excited by some of the titles, but excited by most of the titles. And the kids are just wandering around the library thinking, oh, we'll have to wait for Ellen to like be available to come help us, which I feel like by then I knew about the Dewey Decimal System. So I knew how to like get what I needed to county cat at MC at the Milwaukee County Library was up and running and I knew how to use county cat. Mm, Speaking Um, of standing, we stand county cat. (laughs) We stand county cat in this household. I didn't even um, know that was in my head. <laughs> but don't, don't we learn in just like a few minutes in this episode that they have their own cataloging system, which I believe may be like Oakdale's Dewey Decimal System. Yes, I believe. Because they're too cool for the international Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> that is exactly what's happening. So the re- They have to honor the ego of the old man who spent his lifetime in that library reorganizing the books into his own personal system. Well, Danny, thanks for skipping ahead. Sorry. <laughs> well, our little whole crackpot theory on uh, the old man in the library, by the way. I had a whole story for him that was not true at all. Well, I'm ready to hear it once we once we learn. Guess what, later readers, there's gonna be an old man in the library. And we're about to meet him now. <laughs> okay, but there's there is a designated old man in every library, right? Like there's just one old man Probably. in every public library in the world that he just like lives there and no one actually knows if he ever, ever actually leaves. Like, I'm pretty sure that's this guy. I've been to a lot of libraries, so I don't make generalizations about libraries. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's probably an old person in every library. There, well, the just North like... Shore Library certainly is just full of old people and me perusing the YA novels. Like that's all that's happening <laughs> And we had some high school classmates who worked at that library. Yeah, my cousin also worked at that library. He got fired for sleeping in the stacks. Who wouldn't? I was was just tired. I know, it happens. Where are you supposed to sleep? On the work table? Great question. Yeah, on the clock, obviously. So as I mentioned, the kids were just wandering around, not sure what what to do to help them solve their questions about rock and roll for this report when suddenly an old white man comes up to them in the old white man accusatory manner i'm very familiar with and asks what are you what are you here what are you looking for what what can i what can i not in a friendly what can i do you for way in a very accusatory what are you doing in my library way and joe said the organization system is very straightforward it shouldn't be taking you this long to find your book about rock and roll yeah, he's very confused. And it turns out they're only like one shelf away from rock and roll. And he provides some feedback that they should also read about blues and country, which good on you, sir, for knowing that rock and roll didn't just spout from anywhere. And then the man disappears. And Joe says, wait a minute, this is weird because there's only one reference librarian and it's my mom. So the kids go look for this old man and what's wild to me here is Sam starts looking on the bookshelves for this man. <laughs> Maybe 
he was taking <laughs> well, a nap. He happened to be a leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> it was so weird. And I recognize that footage because they show it at the end of the episode sometimes when they're like, go to the library, read a book. And I was like, yeah, because Sam is straight up looking at titles on the, on the shelves instead of looking for a full grown man in, in the shelves. Who is to say? So the man has disappeared and Wishbone suspects that the library is haunted by a nice old man who reads a lot, <laughs> which, you know, I mean, on the like, someone's going to the me. ranking of ghosts. Like, I feel like it, it's more like a, a, an X, Y axis, right? And like the X axis is like how creepy they are, like not creepy to super creepy. And then the Y axis is like how useful they are, like not useful to super useful. Like this is, this guy's like high on the useful spectrum and sort of low on the creepy spectrum. So like, that's that's about the best you could ask for when, when it comes to ghosts. He's like basically Casper is what you're saying. He's <laughs> basically Casper, the friendly ghost. Friendly might be a, a, a step too far, but um, you know, like Casper imparting wisdom in his own particular brand of, of wisdom imparting. <laughs> And he had like a large head like Casper too. So <laughs> I mean, if you didn't look at him too closely, which I couldn't because my TV was very fuzzy because we were watching like a pirated YouTube video. Um, I'm pretty sure that he looked a little bit like Mr. Feeney and I appreciated that. He did. He had like a rectangular head like Mr. Feeney. And, re- and like the same kind of glasses, very 80s wireframe. Yep. Yeah. Also kind of that nice. moment. Yep. It's yeah, true. I liked it. Um, this is where I'd like to insert my crackpot idea about what happened to this man. Because <laughs> Ellen tells us that he passed away. Did you say that already? I didn't. No. Well, right. I'm did. breaking the news. Ellen's like, that guy couldn't be the library. He couldn't have been in the library because he passed away. His wife just let us all know. This is where I decided that this man, <laughs> this, it's kind of funny only because it's so ridiculous. I decided he must have dementia. And he came back to the library and he was like, he was, he thought that he, he thought he was still the reference librarian. So he was like, just helping the kids. And then he went home because sometimes when people have dementia, they just go back to their daily lives. But then I decided that his wife must have lied that he died because she didn't want him to be embarrassed that he had dementia. I mean, it's a really elaborate plot for which it really all just comes back to protecting this guy's ego, doesn't it? And as someone who has seen multiple Nicholas Sparks movies with someone with dementia, including two days ago, I watched Safe Haven. Checks out. Checks out. <laughs> Checks out. So I mean, as- it's like a lot for a wishbone, but I think like in a longer form movie, that could have been what actually happened. If this were a movie length episode of wishbone, because sometimes they are like two episodes long, right? Or like three episodes, like a, a special episode. Sometimes PBS had those. I remember Arthur had them and stuff too. So maybe, maybe next time. We don't know. We we haven't watched the entirety of the series yet, so we could be coming up on it soon. Who's to say? I'm Who's- comfortable saying that I wouldn't be disappointed if this was it. I don't know if I need a part two to this particular episode. It is what it is. It is what it is. Well, as Jillian mentioned, this older gentleman is someone who Alan says used to be the library, the reference librarian 10 years ago who had retired to Florida. And he, as Danny and Jillian mentioned, this old man invented the reference system that Ellen is digitizing. And that's why Ellen was in the magazine talking about how she was digitizing this reference system. 
Joe is like, well, it could still be him. <laughs> and, and when they see a picture, a photograph of him, they say they think it's him. The kids think it's him. And right then the library calls Ellen and says something weird is going on. So they all troop back to the library. And it turns out someone has defaced the article with Ellen in it. Someone is taking indexes, volumes of this index that Ellen needs to digitize and they start airing their suspicions wondering who it could be david suggests a ghost for obvious reasons and wishbone says it isn't me because dogs aren't allowed in the library if you had just gotten home after a hard day at work and you got a phone call from work that was like hey someone scribbled on a magazine article are you in your car going back to work to like address it? They didn't tell her what happened. That was the problem. They said, That's you'll true. know it <laughs> when yeah, you right. see it. And they, they just wanted her to have a crappy end to her day. That's Seriously. what happened. Yes. Not only did someone color on her picture and write nasty notes in red pen, but also they dragged her out of her home for no just reason. Really poor work-life boundaries with, with this particular Yeah, she's being harassed. Just another example of that. Well, they get to the library and and Ellen says, Ellen says she refuses to be intimidated by anyone because she's digitizing this important reference system. And the kids say, we're going to stay too. And Ellen basically says, LOL, your kids. <laughs> Very helpful. But Ellen relents and lets the kids stay and the next thing we see is wanda comes through dressed as a spy with all sorts of spy tools this is hot on the heels of mission impossible i know because i watched mission impossible one recently and it was in that 94 to 96 time frame so not surprised you're an expert on mission impossible and dementia is what you're telling yes yeah. well i could talk about a lot of things on danny's podcast encyclopedia and i'm just <laughs> listing them out right now <laughs> these are these are other stay possible tuned. topics danny please yeah stay tuned <laughs> we're just gonna do sean a month where every every episode of the month is just shauna talking about a different thing that she's an expert on some of them will only be like 10 minutes long but few few of them will be that short <laughs> very few of them i have lots of thoughts <laughs> <laughs> they may not be facts but they will be there yeah they're thought they're plenty of thoughts that should be a tagline for my podcast <laughs> thoughts not necessarily facts yes <laughs> yes so wanda has all these spy tools and there's a police officer who i actually thought was a security guard and later realized was a police officer um who is very Paul Blart mall cop, not necessarily just in looks, but also in like demeanor and like slight wackiness level. Not that I've seen Paul Blart mall cop, but I've seen the commercials. So I feel I have a so good- You're basically an expert on Paul Blart mall cop. Another episode of Sean <laughs> <laughs> I really do appreciate how you cite the- cite your sources for all of your different knowledge uh, <laughs> categories you know this i saw in a commercial this i've learned about in a nicholas sparks book <laughs> that's so that's such a good observation it must come from like 
not only the fact that I have so many thoughts, I'm like, listen, I'm not the source of truth. Here are my citation. You your justification. Because I do sometimes <laughs> reply as a joke to texts and stuff, like citation needed. Like if someone just like <laughs> sends me like a screenshot of like a chart, I'm like, you can't just send me a screenshot of a chart of vaccines. Like that means nothing to me. Citation needed. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So Paul Blart, Molokop, and Wanda are looking over all of Wanda's cool spy tools that Wanda ordered from Home Detective Monthly. Meanwhile, 3.6 feet away, Ellen and the kids are talking about the fact that the lights will all turn off in a mere moment. And then the lights turn off and Wanda and the guard are convinced (laughs) the kidnapper break-in person what do you call like a burglar has found the fuse box break-in person actually is the technical term she's not an expert on burglars it's it's the most politically correct phrase break-in person that's gender neutral it's not accusatory exactly just saying they broke in it's not no assumption of intent innocent until proven guilty stating just stating what they did i could work for the new york times so so the lights go out totally and totally expectedly and later on it's nearly midnight everyone is bored and like sprawled across the ground at the library it's like night at the museum but library (laughs) (laughs) i don't know why i'm citing so many like 2008 era movies but that I have not seen, <laughs> but here we are today. <laughs> so Alan- Night at the library is a great premise for a spinoff though. Like assuming that like the characters come alive out of the books and not just that like the books themselves come alive. Oh, that, that could be kind of interesting too. I never watched or read um, from the files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. I don't, yeah. is that in the museum or in a library? I think that's a museum. Oh, you're right. I think it's the Met. Okay, so maybe yeah. in my head all this time I've been thinking they've been trapped in a library and I was wrong. <laughs> I never read the book. I feel like kind of the cover kind of looked like a card catalog or something like that. It kind of looked library-esque, but I, I think it was in a museum. Well, now we're going to look it up. I feel like a, just a library lock-in would be great, though. Like, libraries would be a great place to, like... I don't know. Well, what, what I always did at Lockins like as a kid was place our deeds. Did. I feel like uh, I grew up in West Dallas and I feel like the West Dallas Public Library did do stuff like that because that's a really big library. Yeah. What I don't understand is why the kids weren't taking advantage of a lock-in situation. Like running amok? No, yes. they had they had business to attend to. They were, they were doing nothing. They were ghostbusting. My eighth grade lock-in, lots of shenanigans ensued. Similar to the dances we've talked about on this podcast, lots of time in bathroom solving dramas, lots of people getting into shenanigans. They could have really been up to something. Yeah, I don't, well, I probably did not go to that lock-in because Glen Hills for New Kids was a whole different story. (laughs) But I believe the drama that you are referencing. Well, you knew the kids we went to school with. They were very dramatic. Yeah, that place had... I'd never gone to a school with clicks before and that school had clicks and it was a real eye-opening experience. Let me tell you. I didn't know there was such a thing as a school without clicks. Oh gosh. Trauma. <laughs> Talk about trauma. All sorts Oof. of traumas. 
traumas in our in our coming of age story. Yep. <laughs> so it's nearly that would be a fun episode concept, actually. What what are the traumas that these kids are gonna have when they grow up oh, due to their, oh, their childhood living in this? <laughs> we discussed them last week. They have at least two traumas, like Joe's dad died. Sam's parents were divorced. Like there's many traumas in this. David world. busted the window off of that car that one time. Yes, David <laughs> lied to his parents after breaking part of his parents' car. Yeah, it's a lot. They're going through a lot, really. These these kids. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody's bored at the lo- at the lock in at the library, and suddenly <laughs> they hear a noise, and the police officer says, "That's what we call a noise." And that was like a very popular mock-up action. Again, I haven't You could tell he didn't watch a movie about noises. He maybe only watched the commercials. It's like me. So he had to make some assumptions, make some inferences, act on those decisions, and cite his evidence. And it turns out the break-in person is Ezra Knudsen. He's this old man and it's a real live old man it's not a ghost and we're like whoa what is going on turns out he got that library monthly magazine article and was upset and the obvious solution is to write a letter to the library to trick people into thinking he was dead and then to come to the library and sabotage a young woman attempting to bring the library into the future and deface photographs of her and harass her. And I, I, I just am speechless. Well, <laughs> there's there's no scenario where 20 years later, this guy can be turned into the hero of the story. <laughs> no, it's not even close. Like, talk about optics that didn't age well. This whole episode is, is one of them. <laughs> truly wild, truly wild. And Ellen says, bro come look at the computer like just come over here and sit down and he's kind of rude to her when she says that and she's like sit at the computer and he's kind of like oh like i've never seen a computer before like that kind of vibe which i was not here for and alan turns on the computer and the digital index is called the newts index because his name is newtson and it says it's based on the system created by ezra newtson and she gave him credit all along. And just as she said earlier, she didn't even know they're writing this article about her in Library Monthly Magazine, which is how you know they are not performing journalism. It's essentially blog entries in a tabloid because they did not call and ask the people the article was about for a quote. <laughs> not so that truly the media is the villain of this story. <laughs> yes, just like all stories. Not- <laughs> the patriarchy the media yes the media is you know the uh, the on one of the arms of the patriarchy as we all know (laughs) so ellen and joe the after this invite ezra home for dinner and my first thought was is this like immediately afterward because it's you know one in the morning but I'm guessing it was just a normal dinner. And then Ezra says, I better go and just like walks out. It was just weird. <laughs> the ending of this episode was weird. It was weird. Well, he was like, I don't... then he said at the end, Ellen was like, well, I'll send you all of those indexes after I've gotten them into the computer. And he's like, no, just put them on a floppy disk. That'll be easier to mail. I was like, you cannot put seven giant books on a floppy disk, sir. 
No, that only holds like one megabyte if you're lucky. <laughs> like that. <laughs> it's a lot of ones and zeros. <laughs> so that, that was that was the the modern part of the episode. You know, you've heard some of our thoughts as we went through. Before we get into the fandom part, did either of you want to kind of share some of your overall reactions you didn't get a chance to talk about? I hate this one almost as much as the fandom. This story really bummed me out. It it wasn't, I will say like the story moved forward at a good clip and mm-hmm. I was interested to watch them solve the problem and had fun along the way with Wanda and Paul Blart Mall Cop. But it wasn't the delight I wanted it to be. Mostly because... But I didn't think that that was their fault. You know, we've had some criticisms over the past couple episodes that we felt like the writers have really, like, fallen down on the job. I think that this story felt, like, followed perfectly with the Phantom of the Opera story. I thought it was, like, a nice mirror to the that storyline. I think the real problem here is the horrible misogyny in the original text which allowed for horrible misogyny in this text and that's not really the fault of the episodes like of the authors also it was written in the 90s and so like there is a little bit of understanding where they're coming from not forgiveness for their mistakes but understanding what about yeah, i also just wanted more wishbone yeah True. that's a good point this one really wasn't really about mm-hmm. wishbone we had a couple lines here or there but he wasn't a part of moving the story forward he was mostly just so excited to be surrounded by books which like um, same wishbone i get it <laughs> same i went to have price books yesterday that was a mistake um but i did his best line i thought wishbone's best line was when ellen when the kids first get to the library at the beginning of the episode she says to the kids how did you get here and wishbone goes by alicia ellen how did you get here <laughs> I do remember that and it was very good. So funny. The voice actor really does sell every line that he gets, whether it's as Wishbone or as the current, whatever character they're playing. All right. Are we ready to jump into the seemingly delightful slash not at all delightful story of the Phantom of the Opera? Which they recorded on set. As we learned at the end of the episode. Oh, mine didn't have a behind the scenes thing that I watched. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, they talked about like being on location. Yeah. Oh, you'll have They'd to tell like, me go about specifically it. to an opera house to record the opera house scenes. That's so cool. How did okay? Whatever YouTube video I watched did not have it, so now I'm sad. <laughs> but it's okay. You'll have to tell me after we finish talking about it. I'm really excited to hear all about it. All right. Um, we just told uh, Yeah, I mean, that was, it was a 15 second segment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So maybe I did have it. I didn't realize it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so we start off with Wishwin providing a voiceover saying, you know, the, this story takes place in the Grand Opera House in Paris. And for years, management knew about a ghost that was there and they paid the ghost a salary question mark question mark question mark and reserved a box for him but then the grand hopper house was under new management and they said lol no 
and they stop setting aside that box they stop paying that salary they're like this is a i don't even and i would be like this new manager let's be real so the people who believed in the ghost knew it was only a matter of time before the ghost took revenge on these new managers anything's possible anything's possible so we open up on wishbone as raul and wishbone is sitting in a box (laughs) with with his brother and raul is enamored by this new hotshot singer she's beautiful and has a great voice and his brother says essentially well you can shoot your shot but she's gonna shoot you down like the, you're not even remotely in her league <laughs> that's to keep people's expectations reasonable i think truly again you can shoot your shot if you want but just be realistic about what could happen afterward <laughs> so then a potential opera diva comes out and amidst pushes this woman that raul is enamored with out of the way and amidst her singing all these beautiful operatic runs all of a sudden she starts sounding like a frog like it's like a straight up ribbit ribbit noise and we see a gloved hand off stage doing some things and making some motions and releasing things and cutting things and he takes the woman's voice somehow and sets a fire in the private box that used to be set aside for him i i feel like i'm not describing this very well but like a lot happened in these 13 seconds <laughs> i just want to say that like i've never had any desire to go to an opera but if it was a frog opera like i'm there so that, I, the, the frog croaking was kind of an improvement in my eyes <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have that in common with ruth bader ginsburg who loved the opera i've been to many an opera so after this weirdness happens, Wishbone as Raul goes to the dressing room of this beautiful new singer he's enamored with. And he sees in the shadows, he sees a silhouette of her receiving vocal guidance from a music teacher. But then he realizes the music teacher is seemingly in love with this singer. And he clamors forward, makes a big noise. And she asks, who are you? And and she claims that she is alone. Raul just totally sidesteps this conversation, decides I'm going to start a new conversation and sees a scarf just on the, on the little table and asks, how long have you had it? Well, it turns out she's had it since she was a child and has had it every single day of her life. But one time when she was a little girl, she lost it at the beach and a little boy saved it. And Raul finishes the story because he was the little boy who saved it when they were kids. What a me cute. <laughs> At that point, I was like, wow, that is it. I like that. I like those things. I watch a lot of Korean dramas and this happens in <laughs> all of them. They always have met as children. So I was ready. At this point, I was like, you know, no expectations. Like, okay. And then in the <laughs> next sentence, so much happens so fast. It turns out conf- Christine confesses that this music teacher that Raul saw her with in the shadows is the ghost. And the ghost is super, super, super jealous of other people and is protective of his time and control over Christine. By the way, her name is Christine. 
And Christine. <laughs> <laughs> I did not say that was her name. <laughs> By the way. <laughs> and then Christine says, we can't see each other again because this ghost is super jealous. And Raul like disagrees a little bit. And then she says, if you truly love me, let go, like go, let me go, go. That escalated so quickly. And I know <laughs> for the adaptation, but I was just like, in the matter of like a three sentence exchange, they reconnected and rekindled some sort of childhood romance. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's a condensed story. This is for children. So you got half of a 24-minute episode to tell the entirety of the Phantom of the Opera also, novel, which honestly we... could could stand to lose probably 80% of the words that are in it anyway, but True. still. True. But also, how are we going to set kids' expectations for how love actually works if we don't have characters falling in love within 30 seconds? True. Like, yeah. Otherwise, kids will just think that it's like actually a process. Well, they have history. They have history, Jillian. Things are different when you have met as a child. Like, who's to say I won't encounter someone I knew when I was six years old? Well, truly, I think that's the lesson to this episode is that kids should really be giving scarves to every person that they meet because you never know. Or returning scarves when they find them because you never know. This is where I've gone wrong. I haven't lost any scarves and had someone return it to me. I should just be out there sprinkling scarves all over the place. You're too responsible, Jillian. Sprinkling is really a choice. (laughs) You know, just sprinkling scarves. (laughs) I imagine like little fairy sized, like, you know, one inch by three inch scarves. (laughs) You're like, I'm imagining you sending fairies out to do it. Like, go, my minions, <laughs> sprinkle these scarves. That's what they're for. I mean, got to put them to work somehow. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so, Christine tells Raul, go away. If you love me, you need to go. So, another time later on, we see Christine rehearsing on the stage, and Raul from off stage tells her that, like, it's so beautiful. You're so beautiful. And she's so flattered at first, but then she says, no, we shouldn't be seen together because you guys know the ghost, Eric, who she names is Eric. What the fuck kind of ghost is named Eric? I'm sorry. I was just like so appalled. Christine, Raul, and Eric? Eric doesn't seem like a French name. Like nobody was named Eric in French class. Like Eric is not, no, Eric is the name of the prince in Little Mermaid. Mermaid. Nobody else besides that is, and like real people we know are named Eric. Corey Matthews' older brother is named Eric. Eric Matthews. That makes sense. But Eric, it it just doesn't seem like a French name. It's Old Norse. Old Norse. Not even Catholic or Gaulish. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I mean, it would have to be like Eric. Like yeah. Frederic. But maybe, maybe it was short for Frederic. What is the Phantom's name in the musical, Danny? Or do either of you remember? It was Eric. Oh, it was Eric. Well, it definitely in Phantom, the American one. Let's see. Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> the American <laughs> sensation. <laughs> The American musical sensation. Yeah, it's Eric. It's with a K. I feel like that's an important clarification. Eric. Still I, I didn't like it. 
Yeah, it was, it did, it did take me out of the time period. It did not, it felt like an anachronism. Because then it might as well have been Marvin. Like Christine, Raul, and Marvin. Yeah. <laughs> Marvin sounds better than Eric, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I feel like it fits. Just like. It doesn't feel like an, you know, 1800s yeah. French name that someone would be named. Even like. Pierre or Bust. Yeah. Etienne. Oh, any of the names from Three Musketeers that I didn't remember. <laughs> like all of those. <laughs> that was his last name, wasn't it? Or was it his first name? It seems oh. last namey. I'm sure. Uh, look, I again, I don't know their names. We should ask Drake. <laughs> I'll text him. <laughs> anyway, the ghost is named Eric and Christine says, you know, Rahul, you need to go away. Like we can't let Eric see us together. So Raul asks Christine to run away with him, which is a great Carly Rae Jepsen song. And she also says, okay, I will run away with you. I'm so excited to run away with you, but do not tell anyone that I'm going to run away with you. Next thing you know, it's performance. It's that night. And Raul and his brother are in the box watching. Raul has clearly told his brother about the plan because they are discussing it. And Raul says, nothing could possibly go wrong. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> as someone who has seen a lot of rom-coms and teenage shows and kid shows. There's the reference. Thank you. you citation. Should, you're welcome. You should never say nothing could possibly go wrong because it will. That is how script writing works <laughs> duh Raul jeez so next thing you know there's an explosion on stage in the middle of the performance and Christine disappears from the stage OMG Raul jumps yeah. leaps onto the stage as a dog and he sees there's a trap door and he runs down, runs down and follows her. And it was a really great piece of dog acting jumping down from that little box. Oh, Wishbone knows what to do. He's very smart. So smart. So smart. So Raul runs under the stage and keeps shouting in the tunnels under this stage. Like, Christine, I'm coming, I'm coming. And he hears music. So he runs toward it. Which, I don't know if that's like the smart reaction to have, but it is sound, right? It's like you're, if you're like trapped in a long hallway, you would look for light or sound, I guess. Um, that's what I would aim for. I've never in my life been trapped in a scary hallway. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I try to avoid that scenario. Didn't you in just my life. like 10 seconds ago say you shouldn't say things like that? gosh now that i now i'm scared good thing i live in a box (laughs) good thing i live in a box we can't leave our house because of a pandemic yeah there's no hallways in my apartment (laughs) good things there's no hallway that you know of you know what i don't need wishbone didn't know about this hallway either i'm not in the market of being scared (laughs) anyway now that now that our guest is goading us, <laughs> Raul runs toward the music and sees someone playing a pipe organ, and he tries to take Christine away from this weird place. She she's not like chained to in positions; she's just sitting near this organ, an organ player. 
And all of a sudden, the organ player cages Raul and there's spikes that come up from the ground. And the organ player says, this is what you get. Well, he didn't say that, but it felt like that's what he was trying to say. <laughs> that was the subtext. Yeah, that was the subtext. <laughs> it's a weird little exchange. And the organ player says, that's what you get. Like, you know, you whatever. He's just not a fan of Raul. And... <laughs> He does not stand. He's not a stand. Not a stand. And the organ player says, you know what? Like, uh, now that you're trapped in here, I'm going to make you look at what I look like under this mask. Which, I mean, to me, that's not like a huge threat. You're just like, okay, show me your face. <laughs> like, I don't know what would like truly scare me about somebody's face. Like, some people's faces look different. But okay, I get it. Anyway. <laughs> what if my face was made out of knives and I brought well, it towards you very quickly? I, I that would be an say. invasion of personal space. Yeah, I <laughs> would. I, I don't have, in, when it comes to fight or flight, my reaction, I'm a freeze and I would just stand there and I would no longer be alive. <laughs> <laughs> that face full of knives is coming at me very quickly. <laughs> Yeah, COVID um, suggests that we should maintain a six foot distance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So keep those in, keep your face knives away from me. Keep your face <laughs> knives away from me. Thank you. Thank you. So this was a little bit confusing for me as was the entirety of the episode. And <laughs> the Phantom says, you know, all I asked for, Eric asks, says, all I ever asked for was my box and a little bit of money so I could keep writing my little operas. And Christine apologizes to him for nothing that she has done. She just, like, is apologizing for the circumstances and kisses his cheek. And Eric says, oh, I'm she, I think what she's apologizing, not, I'm not excusing any of this. I think what she's apologizing for is that he's had such a terrible life that he's like lived this life of terribleness and he's had to be like in hiding because his face got burned or whatever happened. I believe you. Well, and he's, and yeah. he's he said that no one ever kissed him, not even his mother. Yes, he does say that. And he says he was born like this. So that's why no one has oh. ever kissed him. No, um, not even his mother. And all of a sudden, like, Eric is like, oh my gosh, like, thank you. Like, he, I'm sorry. He begs for forgiveness. And like, uh, Raul asks to be released because that's a way that he can show that he's forgiving Raul and Christine. And the Phantom lets them go. And Eric tells them, go run off together. Like, that's, that's what I want for you. And that's it. That's the story of the Phantom of the Opera. As someone who's not seen the movies or the musical or anything like that, is does it run true to the storytelling and the other things? It just doesn't seem totally. that interesting. It's so yep. weird to that, me. That that's it about so it. Popular. Like, I uh, think, so I was thinking about this a lot and I don't know if this is my key takeaway or not, but, um, but I think like, so the first time I saw it, I was like just out of college or maybe still in undergrad. And then the last time I saw it was like a year ago, right before the pandemic, I think I saw it. And I, when I saw it the last time, I was just like so appalled by this story and how like, how popular it is. 
the first time I saw it, I don't think I had that reaction at all because I feel like I would have then not wanted to go see it a second time. And I think that there must have been some sort of shift. I mean, there has been a shift in culture, but I think like this idea that like he's a sympathetic character because he's lived this life of isolation is just like so irrelevant to me. Like, I, I just I'm like, well, you just still don't have to be a dick. Like, you don't like, I don't understand why you get to be a jerk just because you have like have a birth defect. That's not how that works. It's entitlement. It's not even like, oh, I'm, it's, I'm not going to make a commentary on like disability or something like that, but it's not making that commentary. <laughs> it's not saying I never had opportunities or I've never been like recognized for who I am. It is truly like, well, I'm- he is saying that he is saying like, he is saying I, no one ever showed me any love. And there, I think the, I think what this, what you're supposed to get from the story is like, if you don't show somebody the love and like, I don't know, like what they deserve. Like if you don't treat them with respect, just because they look different, then they're going to grow up to be a fan of the opera, living in a basement of an opera theater, kidnapping women. And then we should feel bad because we've made them into that person, which is the most ridiculous story. Yeah, so to your point, is it like a moral tale? I don't think it is. I don't think like the hundreds of thousands of people who walked out of Andrew Lloyd Webber's show walked out saying, wow, like I'm not going to be like a bigot or racist. Or- I mean, I think, I think it is. And I think that more than anything, it's a commentary on how the value that women had in society at the time that both the novel was written and honestly, when the musicals were coming out that like, totally. yeah, the, the value of being nice to, to, men regardless of how ugly they are is more important than the value of don't kidnap women to make said point right i mean i do i think you're supposed to walk away with sympathy for the fans absolutely yeah and And i just which is why in the most recent film version they're like "Mm, this doesn't look great so i guess we'll make him make him hot and sexy and then maybe people will not notice as much (laughs) i believe you who played the phantom in the movie Gerard Butler. Do I know oh, really? Then is that true? Did I just make that fact up? That's the guy from Three Hundred. These are words I don't understand. Uh, but yeah, I think it was. It was just odd, and the two like big musicals of our that really like ran were in their heyday during our childhood were Cats and Phantom, and. I never saw cats. I never knew anything about cats until this during quarantine. The, the only other podcast I listened to besides ours, um, How Did This Get Made, did a live recording um, about the movie Cats, which was apparently like very accurate to the musical Cats. And I finally learned like what a bananas.com story that is. And I loosely knew about it being based on the poems because my sister did forensics and like did that poem in forensics. But this now, like as like in a, a full adult in my thirties, I'm like, what? Americans really just don't have taste. Like that's what I'm learning. <laughs> that, or not, I can't even generalize to say Americans, like the Americans with means to go to musicals like this and make them into like multi-million dollar franchises, which 
I'm going to say is like upper middle class white people and like aspirational for all other white people. Like they have terrible taste. <laughs> yeah. I'm not disagreeing with that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have no comments besides that. <laughs> the other musicals that were like that are super popular that I think like always sell out are like Les Mis. That's another one that's like yeah, I saw that for the first time two years ago, and it was terrible. <laughs> I, yeah, that one I go back and forth. It depends on the, the day, whether I like it or not. But I also think, like, The Lion King is another one that's pretty popular. Wicked. That yeah. one, what? Oh, Wicked. Yeah. Wicked. Yeah, but that was so much later. I mean, Wicked came out when we were in high school. We were school. in high school, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but that is, and then, like, Hamilton. But that's, like... That's like a whole nother generation of musicals, right? Like, yeah. yeah, it's a new era. Although Rent also like early 90s, which is a totally different experience than, Rent is a totally different experience than Phantom. I'm going to go, I'm going to go way out on a limb with a hot take here. Are you ready for Danny's, Danny's hot take for the What's the Story Always. episode? We love a hot take. Um, and I know, I know Jillian is a big fan and I, I too am a big fan and have been multiple times. I think that the people recording the podcast about our uh, generation 40, 50 years from now are going to look at Hamilton and be like, that was so screwed up. Why was that such a popular musical? And, and Oh, I'm sure. I, I don't, I don't, th- I don't think it's going to age as well. I think it's going to age just as well as some of these other ones have. Yeah. I'm not going to cut this out. I'm on record as someone who doesn't get Hamilton. I've seen yeah. Hamilton. I've listened to the score or the recording, like, one time didn't get it i really enjoyed the mixtape and probably because it's not songs from a musical it's like people i like performing hip-hop songs um i don't know i think hamilton was a theatrical like a spectacle like seeing it staged it was really cool to me Mm -hmm. Uh, the way that they used the stage and used human bodies and things like that was interesting to me who's like on the outside of this theater world um well, and I think Fan of the Opera was probably the same way because there were all these yes, sort of gimmicks. Totally. Like you are, like the theater is the opera house. That's kind of cool. Like they're they're acting throughout and like the trap doors, yeah. the explosions, like all that stuff. Yeah, Phantom is totally known for the, like the spectacle of the show. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's part of what people like were probably originally drawn to. I completely agree, Danny. I think that that's, it is a hot take, but I think it, it is true. Like they, Hamilton is not going to age well. I think- I, I think that that doesn't like, which is true of Phantom too. Like it doesn't negate the fact that it was a spectacle of its time. It sure. was like, it it will still be a cultural touchstone whether it ages well or not. It's still going to be something that like completely revolutionized the way people are doing theater. So mm-hmm. I, I, but I, I do think like when like I have kids who are adults, they're going to be like, mom, I can't believe you drove Chicago to see that show. What is wrong with you? Why did you listen to that soundtrack a million times? That's fine. Yep. And that's always going to happen generationally. Right, yeah, that's, right. that that particular example is. <laughs> I mean, I I I I love Hamilton, but I mean, even if you look at like Rent, which is I think what like people compare Hamilton to, Rent is now like it feels old, it feels crusty, it feels yep. like there's so many issues. If you look at it, you're like, oh boy, that did not age well, but. Yeah. And I mean, the flip side of this conversation is just like, 
it's a way to see that progress is happening. Like, I mean, popular yeah. media is a snapshot of our culture at that time. That's the whole premise of this podcast is like the nineties nostalgia, right? Like it's yeah. a, it's a snapshot and, and it's the good and the bad. And, and I think that the flip side of all this is to say, look how far we've come since Phantom of the Opera was like the big hit musical. Yeah. Well, it's kind of wild though. It's like this book was written in what the 1800s, late 1800s. Then it's turned into a musical a century later yeah. <laughs> and is super popular. Okay, good way to totally and, negate the point I just made. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, it is it is interesting though to see that, right? Like to see yeah. that there was like l- a lot less change and then now 20, 30 years later, whatever, we're all like, what the hell? You know? Well, I mean, I think that speaks to the role of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, you know, maybe more powerful of an assessment tool than what am I trying to say then like critical analysis perhaps it's true there's like soci like nostalgia is an effect when you're talking about sociological factors right like mm-hmm. the way that we're t- having this conversation about phantom is totally not only is it like the sum of us having nostalgia about wishbone and having nostalgia about having seen so many commercials for phantom and i could hand draw that poster if you asked me to (laughs) like we all know like right um and that's because it was so pervasive in my like suburban life right like i like grew up in the white suburbs so to me phantom was very pervasive and it was very aspirational to see it whether it was a tour or not purely because i grew up in the white suburbs right <laughs> like if i didn't um we could be having a totally different conversation i think all three of us grew up in the white suburbs if i'm not if i'm correct so right like so we do have that piece of that perspective in common too um while all this was happening like in different parts of this country right like down the street from where we were growing up like different cultural touchstones were forming right selena like we like selena wasn't really a part of you know right like my life until i was a real like an adult <laughs> and understood more right and this was the same era so good good food for thought all right well It feels like this naturally takes us into our conversation for key takeaways. But before we do that, let's touch on a couple of the other things we like to take note of. Um, Did either of you have any comments on the costumes or the fashion that you wanted to make a quick note of um, in this episode? We had some good costumes. Yeah, I didn't, you know, it wasn't anything like completely spectacular, but it was good. Yeah, it was, it, it worked. (laughs) <laughs> it worked all right and any 90s references i felt like seeing that apple 2e or <laughs> ibm or whatever yeah. that was and uh, we'll put put the books on a floppy disk yeah yeah as we say ezra was really talking about floppy disks at the end there yeah and um, even just like you said the whole premise of like going to the library to pick out books for a report like that just I, that doesn't happen anymore and that was like such a key part of like doing homework for us as kids yeah and it's interesting because like as adults who like know people who research or perform like right like have to research things and gather we know that the internet doesn't have everything we need so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like libraries still do do serve a function but if they aren't part of your like daily life then how how do you res- how do you respect the library the way it needs to be respected <laughs> <laughs> 
Great question, Jana. Thank you. I do love, I love libraries. All right. Well, on that note, let's go into key takeaways. Jillian, would you like to share your key takeaway? I mean, I really think we've kind of covered my key takeaway. My key takeaway was like, don't stalk people. That's inappropriate. So <laughs> I think we've really covered that. Um, I, yeah, I, can, I can't help thinking about how poorly this story has aged, but we've, we've already covered that, so. Yeah. And you're correct. <laughs> Danny, what about you? Did you have a key takeaway or some a, a greater comment you wanted to make about the story? Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of more general just for the show as a whole, but it was, you know, I have currently been binging my way through a lot of the Marvel films and um, the, since the TV shows are all, you know, all the rage right now. Um, and it's just like every story that I consume on on my television is just such like high stakes world altering like things and it was just a you know in this in this episode in particular there's an old man who wants to be recognized because he developed a card catalog system and the kids very low stakes need to like do a report about rock and roll it's just low stakes but it's just it's such a nice reminder of like 90s tv and 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 you know these sorts of shows that we were our bread and butter as kids like Mm -hmm. that it was it was just it was just sort of daily life stuff and that there was drama in that because yeah it is stressful when an old man shows up and mansplains his system to you and then disappears and you're like wait what the heck and then it turns out he's not a ghost yeah whatever the low stakes situation may be When I was on your podcast, Danny, we talked about that too. Yeah. Like, I love '90s nostalgia TV just for like the comfort food television of it all. Like, mm-hmm. it just feels nice to have low stakes entertainment in my world. Probably because the stakes are very high in my brain all the time. <laughs> I don't, I don't need anyone else to be feeling the high stakes either. So, um, I agree. I think that that's been a nice. Besides Shauna and I just getting to talk to each other every week to record the episode, it is a very like comforting half hour of television that we get to watch I I think both of you are making me really realize something which I think a lot of our 90s television cultural touchstones are very slice of life um I'm thinking of like Fresh Prince even ER um like these you know Family Matters, Boy Meets World, most of most of TGIF, obviously not Sabrina the Teenage Witch, but even Sabrina the Teenage Witch was pretty slice of life because she also was just a regular 16-year-old gal. And if you were a teenage witch, that would be a slice of your life. Yes, it would. And now, like when we talk about some of the most popular shows of our, you know, post-college world, like Game of Thrones like Breaking Bad, like the Americans, like these are not slice of life shows. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's very true. Interesting observation. It's like we have more budgets so we can do bigger things, (laughs) which has always been possible. But I think that's why you see so much, so many people being drawn to things like I may destroy you or things that were like real life is reflected in ways that just weren't <laughs> before. So who knows? Awesome. So my key takeaway, it, I, 
I took a really, really, really tiny nugget of something that we saw on this episode. We saw that this old man just wanted credit for something that he did. And it turned out he never lost credit. He just had this perception that he lost credit because things were happening outside of his purview where he was getting credit. And it made me think of how I am in a new job, in a new workplace, and a habit that I've really tried to develop over the last you know decade plus of working is... As Danny mentioned, I do have a habit of providing citations, <laughs> but like providing citations in the form of like talking about a, a more junior member of your team in a meeting they're not in, or someone who helped you out in a meeting they're not in. And especially as a woman in the workplace, in male dominated workplaces, like everything you've read about Obama's like team of women advisors like banding together and practicing shine theory which Aminata So and Ann Friedman kind of really created the framework for is very true like and I'm realizing it more because I expect people to do that for me and I know I'm new and I haven't proven myself and stuff like that so part of you know me in a new workplace is figuring out how do I make sure that when I'm in a conversation with executives, I can say, oh, I worked with this person on that. And it's very obvious when you don't see other people doing it. Um, but I, I just encourage you to think about in your like workplace or if you're in like your community, your church or like, you know, a community theater or something that you're involved with, like site, cite somebody who helped you <laughs> like it could help them out it every little mention of somebody in a meeting like helps kind of cement their existence in another person's mind um and that helps build credibility for that person when they're not in the room so just like i said a little 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 tiny nugget <laughs> um, but uh just think about that that's a great recommendation or key takeaway I think also you could um, come work in the nonprofit sector where we have a Slack channel that's literally just staff shout outs and it's people giving other people credit where credit is due. I mean, that could happen. Not anywhere. that everything is perfect, but we do have that going for us. <laughs> <laughs> I think that could happen anywhere. It's all like culture, right? So I think like yeah. you have to decide what part of a culture is important to you. And if that's like a cultural norm to give shout outs like that, like when I worked at Target, that was like a culture, like managers were actually like required to give like public feedback in certain ways, um, which I think is good. It like taught everybody else to like pay attention and appreciate others. Make cool. a staff Slack channel. Little, little recommendations. That first little nudge is what a lot of people need sometimes. All right. Well, as usual, thank you for an interesting twisty turny conversation. It always is twisty turny and that's what we're here for. Um, was there anything else that either of you wanted to touch on or highlight before we jump into our recommendations? I don't think so. Danny, did you have anything? No. Nope. Perfect. Well, Danny, I'll let you go first. We did prepare you for this. So... <laughs> Every week, we like to give a little recommendation to our listeners. What do you recommend this week for our listeners? Um, my media consumption is often dictated by the podcast that I'm working on since it is a week-by-week -week topic. So um, 
I watched the first couple episodes of Alias this week. Uh, Surprise! As a little bit of a, a preview slash spoiler. Um, I don't know if I recommend it yet, though. Uh, we'll see. Um, also, the ep- the episode this week is about uh, a comic book called Hawkeye. Uh, and you know Hawkeye from the Avengers. And um, I, I'm going to recommend this comic because it is exactly what we were just talking about, where it is, it, it's, it's a, it takes the, the superhero character and just goes home with him. And it's like, here he is dealing with sort of everyday stuff. And it's sort of just a nice, if you're, if you're a fan of sort of the big genre um, films and shows and the high stakes and you like those characters, it's sort of a nice way to sort of transition from that kind of, big story to sort of a more intimate personal story and it's just one of my favorite comic books and so i recommend checking out hawkeye by matt fraction and there's an encyclopedia episode you can listen to about it this week as well so there you go so exciting thanks for that recommendation and maybe we'll have some cool person on to talk about alias in the near future too in the meantime also go listen happy to, to do that danny anytime just call me <laughs> go listen to i think it was episode 32 with jillian on uh, boy meets world it's so good. I love, I still remember listening to that episode and I, I thought it was so cool that Jillian was on a podcast and now <laughs> I think it's so cool that we're all on podcasts. <laughs> Jillian, what about you? Do you have a recommendation this week? I do. So this is a non-Shauna approved recommendation. I already know, but <laughs> um, one of the book series that I've really enjoyed reading was the Discovery of Witches book series. Shauna did not like it, but a lot of people did like it. Um, and I really liked the history elements that were like kind of woven into the story. Um, and they turned it into a TV show on Sundance and actually when I was reading the book, I was like, oh, this would make such a much better like movie or TV show or something like that. And I think the TV show is pretty good. Um, I couldn't tell you if it sticks to the book or not because I don't really remember. But um, I have kind of been binging through that, the first two seasons of that show uh, this week. And it has been very enjoyable, nice escapist television watching. Well, I'm very attracted to the man in that TV show. I believe it's Matthew (laughs) (laughs) And that book is a book, like Jillian said, I didn't love, but I have recommended it to so many people. Everyone I recommend it to loves it. It's just one of those books where I'm like, I can tell it's just not for me, but it's for pretty much everybody else. So, <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I will recommend Jillian's recommendation. Oh, <laughs> all right. My recommendation this week is all about the fact that I don't like to do single trips. What that means is that. If I need to carry something from the car to the front door or need to carry something from point A to point B, I will do multiple trips to make sure those things get from point A to point B because I have like a history of back issues and I'm not that strong in general. And also like, I'm not going to try to shove it all into like, no, I, I understand physics enough to know that I don't understand <laughs> physics. So I'm not going to carry it all. And my recommendation- I'm so excited to see where this is going. <laughs> I know like, is the recommendation going. just it's to so take silly. multiple trips because I like that's yes. a great recommendation I'll do it <laughs> that's my like life recommendation but my way <laughs> to help you become uh, someone who b- 
believes in the spirit of multiple trips but does a single trip is to buy a wheeled grocery cart <laughs> so i recently purchased a small metal cart it's um like two feet by one feet on the bottom and it's about three feet tall it's a little utility cart on wheels and I have been so excited to get it because I had a hand-me-down one um, when I first moved to DC from like the person who had lived in my apartment before me <laughs> and I loved it and then at a daddy Yankee concert a drunk man fell on it and broke it and I was really <laughs> upset <laughs> so now why did you have your shopping cart at a concert because it was at like a outdoor place with the green, like on a grassy area. So you could bring like okay. food and alcohol. So we brought like snacks and our dinner and like all sorts of stuff in the cart because otherwise it would have needed multiple trips. Um, so because it's a pandemic and because I moved to a spot where it's harder for me to, like I have to walk a little bit farther to get to places where I pick things up. Um, I got one and I love it. And I actually use it a lot just to, take things from my car to my front door um, it's great so metal wheeled grocery utility cart that is my recommendation most of them are collapsible <laughs> I recommend this for people who don't want the satisfaction of taking everything in one trip by their hands because I love a single trip <laughs> single trips stress me out because I'm like yeah, that's part of the fun of it like, will I make it all the way to the door without dropping something? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like the multiple trips is a good mindfulness exercise because I definitely oh, feel you, Julian. I'm like, I got to get it all at one because otherwise it's such a waste of time. But honestly, <laughs> it's like the amount of time that I spent like dropping bags, <laughs> going back to pick up the things that I dropped in the first trip. You know, it's just, also, so I sit in my car, both... I take a deep breath. I say, all right, we're going to do this in multiple trips and I'm going to be okay with it. Jamie and I also both own our own homes and so parked very close to our own doors. Yeah, it's like... And there's really not, it's not that far to go back outside. <laughs> Good observation. Oh. Well, I will say like, there are so many tools to make multiple trips not have to happen, right? Not just a wheeled Ikea cart or a wheeled cart, but I keep a blue Ikea bag in my car. So nice. whenever, you know, you have like something that is definitely something Jillian or Danny would try to do in like all in their hands. I just put it in that little blue Ikea bag and <laughs> my hands are free, baby. <laughs> so use well, your tools. I'm happy for you and your shopping cart because it will save your back and it will ease your mind. It makes me so happy to use. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that matters. It's true. It really sparks joy. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you for a delightful discussion. It was so fun to have you on, Danny. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. This is great. Perfect. Well, we will be back in your podcast feeds next week. Thanks for being with us tonight. Bye. Subscribe to What's the Story with Jillian and Shauna wherever you listen to podcasts. Every episode of Wishbone is on YouTube, and we've linked them for you at wishbonepodcast.com. Hope you'll join in.